The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Greetings, geeks, and welcome to Wizards, the podcast kind of comics. This is mini-episode 19.5. I'm Michael, still riding solo, hoping Adam somehow gets back from 2099. And we're going to do a couple of things here. I'm going to try to fumble my way through all of this. First, I want to give you guys a little taste of some of the things that didn't make it into the Two Guys from Long Island episode 19 podcast. Here, take a listen. I was also very into like the hockey games and the and the Madden games. I, I used to love like creating players and stuff like that. And um, I was obsessed with uh, like NHL '92, '93. I had all of them, the whole the whole run. And I loved make cre- creating players. But beyond that, like I didn't know any SNES games. And most of my friends all had Genesis, so none of us really knew them. So this is all news to me. Now, were you into Star Wars at this point? No, I also was not. Okay. Um, I didn't get into Star Wars till college, really. It just wasn't something that I could fully get my head around, I guess. And also, none of my friends were into Star Wars. And my parents, if you ask them what Star Wars were, they wouldn't know. They don't know. Like, my parents were not big movie people. So what I knew of movies is what I either found myself, found late night on USA, or HBO, the free weekend that we would get every now and again. Uh, I I just never really got around to watching Star Wars till college when I was like, Okay, we got a weekend to kill. We got a case of beer. Let's sit down and power through some Star Wars movies. <laughs> it, it's funny because I feel like we grew up in this kind of dead zone of Star Wars. Yes, we did. Because I remember, like, you know, going to to like the toy store, <clears throat> and like the only toys left were, you know, Lando dressed up as a skiff guard from Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Like there was no Luke, there was no Darth on the shelves. None. And like I feel like kids our age were more into Spaceballs than Star Wars. Yes, I loved Spaceballs. Me and- too. And and I didn't even fully get the jokes on Star Wars until years later, other than the Darth Vader reference and the, and the Swartz. But but like I knew what a lightsaber was, I knew what Darth Vader was, I knew what the Death Star was. But beyond that, I really didn't have any of the the real nuances to it. And again, like like you said, like I was very into GI Joe and Marvel comics and DC comics and the ac- those action figures. But I was also I had a a sick obsession with Legos at the time. Oh boy. Uh, I have a, a huge collection of Legos, which I still have to this day. And I recently started getting back into Legos, which is kind of a bit of a problem. I sold off most of my Funko pops and started buying up Legos. And oh, I started, geez. I bought the, uh, the 89 Batmobile. Oh recently. man, that one's beautiful. Yeah. I just bought it. And I'm, I am excited to start building it when I have some free time and figure out where I can hide it so that my three-year-old doesn't destroy it. So that's the real challenge. <laughs> yeah, that that's an expensive Lego, right? Because th- these things are not cheap anymore. It, this was one of those things where it was like a birthday slash Father's Day couple of gift cards. I was like, <laughs> all right, order. Like one of the malls nearby had it and it was everyone was shut down, but they were doing curbside pickup. So I called them like, do you have the Batmobile? And they're like, yes, sir, we do. I was like, oh, good. I'll give you my gift card numbers over the phone. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, um, so here's the thing, though, about uh, like Bane versus Doomsday, right? So Doomsday was a mindless killing machine that came out of nowhere, whereas Bane had more of a slow burn build up to the ultimate fight and the breaking of Batman's back and opposed to killing Batman, you know, breaks his spine and leaves him for dead, essentially, to know that his city is going to be in ruins without him. I think that that's much more impactful than a mindless killing machine. Like, it's almost as if General Zod were to have killed Superman. That's more of a character that I think would have been more impactful, though I do think that the death of Superman is a great story. We've covered it on the podcast. I think, you know, Doomsday is actually a very cool villain. I would have liked to see more buildup as opposed to like three issues and boom, he's there. It's like, you know, that's one of my pet peeves about that. Uh, Completely. I think I think you're exactly right there. And I think I I also love the death of Superman. I thought when it when it came out, it was, you know, it it changed the, the whole game. Yeah, And, you know, Nightfall would not exist without the death of Superman. I mean, one led to the other. But I don't know, if, like, when you were a kid, did you read those? They made, like, novelizations of Death and Return of Superman and the Nightfall series. So I never read that one. I missed those, which would bum me out. But when they did um, uh, Batman No Man's Land, I bought the novelization of that. And it was fine. It wasn't as good as the actual comic, but I... I I regretted not getting the novelizations of Death of Superman and Nightfall, which I heard were pretty good. They were. And, you know, both both are good. Both are good. But there's something about that Nightfall one that reads like a novel where you can see all the layers of the storyline. You can see the way Bane weakens Batman and unleashes all these villains from Arkham Asylum. There's a lot of levels to that story. And I think that's why that I think that's why I like Nightfall more than Mm -hmm. Death of Superman. It just has. It has layers. Yeah, it has layers. And it's it's definitely, there's more to it. Like, I think the bigger impact for Death of Superman is what happens after that. Like, the reign of the Superman and bringing in the, the four copycats, so to speak. That's more interesting than the actual Death of Superman itself. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, Funeral for a Friend was, was pretty, I mean, that was something I read every issue of for whatever reason. I did too. I mean, I, I remember getting the armband with the thing and i had that like pinned to my backpack for a while like, yeah you know, it's weird thing. it's weird how we mourned superman as kids yeah it kind of taught us about the grief process a little bit it, it did it was like the first significant thing in my life that i can remember like wow like superman died like that's weird and then they brought him back and i was like oh he's back they didn't really explain why he's back or how he's back in that well. And I didn't, I, or I kind of didn't fully understand it at the time, but I was like, Oh, okay. He's back. Great. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, I, I hope to one day have a funeral where all my friends dress up as superheroes and carry my casket <laughs> down the street. That's a fitting end for any, any comic book. Fan. That is a fitting end for sure. Wow. It's a, that would be interesting and, and a little dark, but okay. Dark. It. No, no, it's certainly dark, but boy, what a picture. What a picture that would be. <laughs> because they just don't know how to market those other less well-known or less popular characters in the books. That's really what it boils down to. Like I've had a theory that what comic book magazines or books studios or or imprints should do is let's say you take DC comics for a second. I'm just going to go on a quick little rant. Supergirl, 
Green Arrow and Huntress and the Question. All, you know, B-tier characters have a strong following, right? And here's my pitch. A year is 12 months long. You do three issues of Supergirl, three issues of Green Arrow, three issues of Huntress, three issues of The Question, all by the same writer and artist team. And then after a year, they do a mini series of six issues of those four characters coming together to tell a longer story. That's what I would do. And then after that is done, you jump onto four different characters and so on and so forth. That's how I would do it. That sounds awesome. Because it would force people, like, wow, okay, I know that I have a timeline. Okay, I only need to invest into this in 12 months of this, and then I get six months of this, and then boom, I'm onto totally new stuff. The artists don't get bored, the writers, writers don't get bored, and you're constantly refreshing characters. And then you, you let Supergirl sit for a couple of months or a year, and then you bring her back into another story, and that makes the characters stay fresh. That's what I would do. I have to say, it was super fun to just kind of riff and talk about similar things that we both grew up knowing. It's funny, Stephen and I never met before doing this podcast, and we lived very similar upbringings and lives in our comic fandom, as well as filmmaking and such, which is pretty funny. So next, we're going to dive right into the amazing art section. And I can tell you right now, just from the look of it, I don't know who a lot of these characters are. I'm pretty sure they're image characters or valiant characters, and I don't know them. But we're going to see what happens. You're unbelievable. First, we have Rainier D. Rosario from Chicago, Illinois. He drew some guy who's got a gold star in his chest, gold arms, gold legs, and like a gold and purple cape. He wears some sort of a hood wrapped around his waist, some sort of kilt-like thing with wizard stars on it, and he's shooting electricity or lightning out of his hands, and it's sort of burning up the DC Comics logo, the Marvel logo, the Image logo, some sort of like a Compass Rose, the Dark Horse logo, and an M, which I don't know what that is. So, yeah, it's really cool looking, but again, I have no idea who this character is. Strike one for me. The next one, wow, we're getting local here, is from Sergio Soto from Deer Park, New York, which is like five minutes from where I live. And it's a man with a letter M around his waist wearing sort of a romper of sorts and white boots. I don't know who this character is either. I think this is a Valiant character, but I'm not really sure. He's facing some cybernetic robot android character wearing the wizard hat over his head and holding a pink Energizer Bunny-esque character in his hand and a magic wand in the other. It's really cool looking. It's extremely well drawn. I just don't know who this character is. Next, we have a character drawn by a guy named Lionel Torres from the Bronx, New York. It's a guy 
who's kind of like some sort of cybernetic body or like mesh metal body with a green ponytail coming out of his head. He's slashing through the wizard cloak. It's very cool looking. It's The coloring is really nice. The art is really nice. Unfortunately, I don't know who this character is, but it looks cool. I've seen this character before, but I don't know who this character is. The next one is by Gaimperio Genovese from Lehue, Hawaii. Oh, wow. Cool. And he drew a really nice archangel flying way above the sky. It could be Hawaii that he's flying over. It could be Genosha. It looks really, really nice, though. It's very cool. It looks super realistic. The face is extremely well done. The wings are kind of fluttering in a unique pattern that I've never seen them do before. The arm scaling, his hands get extremely small where he has fairly large arms, but overall it's a really nice drawing. The next one we have is from Arorio Galindo Jr. from Chicago, Illinois, and he drew Venom and Carnage and a creepy looking wizard in the background with a guy that I know somebody told me who was a few weeks ago, but I already forgot. And I don't like cheating to look it up. It's a guy with a like a white hair and tentacles coming out of his arms. And they're all sort of charging at something. One side of wherever they are is some sort of villa or resort. The other side is sort of desert or snow. It's really cool looking. I just I don't know what they're charging at. It's a very dynamic pose, and I don't know who this guy with the tentacles is. The next one we have is by Jerry Scalion from Ivyland, Pennsylvania. And he just drew this really, really beautiful Captain America. And Captain America looks utterly perfect, like really terrific drawing, saluting the wizard logo, which has an American flag blowing through it. And there's an American flag behind him as well. This is, like, fantastic. This is, like, some really cool, high-quality drawing here. It's unbelievable. Kudos to Jerry. Next, we have... It's either Call the Conqueror or Conan the Barbarian. Could be both. Could be... I think I'm going to go with Conan. And this is by Sean Karn from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And... This character sliced off somebody else's head and there's blood all over the sword and he's holding the head and there's blood coming out of the guy's nose. The musculature is really, really good. The wizard cloak looks as if it's possibly the character's underwear, which is pretty funny. I like it. That's pretty hilarious. The next one is by Jack Gary from Aurora, Colorado who drew Betty Page, which is pretty interesting. That's an interesting pull. And Betty Page is holding a tasseled whip with stars on the end, and her outfit is wizard purple with stars. She's got kind of a, almost like an Archie kind of a style drawing. It looks really cool. I like it. I'm, I'm, I dig it. It's very nice. The next one we have is by Andrew Passato from Seattle, Washington. And this thing is wild. Like, holy cow. It's Wolverine, but it looks incredibly well done. Like, this is some high-quality Photoshop stuff that people would be doing today. It's beautiful. 
I can't even describe how nice this is. The way the stars are going from the wizard cloak and the wizard colors. The wizard logo is kind of metallic, almost as if it's adamantium. Really terrific. The next one, though, is pretty hilarious and kind of a big foreshadowing. John Gandauer from Boca Raton, Florida, has Leonardo knocking unconscious Batman, and it says Cowabunga Bat Dude. It's pretty funny. I really like it. Everything is extremely well drawn, and it's way ahead of its time. If you guys know about the Batman Ninja Turtles crossover that happened a couple of years ago, this is a huge foreshadowing to that, and it's pretty awesome. I, I love it. It's really funny and cool looking. The next one is Bartman, funny enough. This is pretty amazing. We haven't seen a lot of Simpsons ones yet, and this is a pretty cool one. It's like as if Homer Simpson got jacked with Bart Simpson's head and Bartman's mask is the wizard cloak and there's a wizard behind him and it says get ripped man and then his like shorts or underwear says W L H N G I don't know what that means but if you know what W L H N G means in relation to the Simpsons Please let us know. I'm curious. And what's really kind of weird is Maggie Simpson is sucking on a pacifier holding on the end of Bart's finger. It's kind of strange. It's a weird little ad in there, but whatever. I'm over it. The next one is by Jim Dunn from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And Jim drew a Batman in a heavy, heavy suit of armor battling Venom. And... It's pretty cool. It's it's kind of a um, Dark Knight Returns style armor, and Batman's using some sort of sonic gun, which makes sense to help take down Venom, so pretty clever. Very, very clever. It's a pretty cool drawing. I like it. The next one is by Stephen J. Miller from Columbus, Ohio, and he's got a Colossus who's sort of transforming at the time, and it's unique. It's sort of like lightning bolts coming into it or some sort of electricity and he's holding the wizard cloak and the wizard cloak seems to almost be turning metallic as well the next one we have is by jeff brauner from hollywood florida who drew a thor and thor is sort of like chasing after something or ready to attack something and holding the wizard cloak in his hand it's pretty cool it's it's interesting it's a it's very dynamic pose and over exaggerated arms and tiny tiny legs and that is our amazing art section next we're going to dive into the new segment of my kind of hero Slasher by Albert Halago from Portsmouth, Virginia. And his secret identity is Abdul Rushka. He, his current occupation is mercenary. His citizenship is Egypt. His legal status is international criminal. Marital status is single. Base of operations is mobile. His height is 6'3. His eye color is hazel. You can't really see his eyes in this picture, but sure. Weight is 210, his hair is black. It says his powers. Abdul possesses the super combatant armor, a feat of high technology consisting of two parts. 
The exoskeleton armor, constructed of complex metal alloys, is virtually invulnerable to all forms of attacks. It can withstand impacts of over a thousand tons of force, resist high amplitude vibrational shocks, and endure beyond the point of man-made temperature extremes. Energy attacks such as lasers are even less effective. Servo motors augment strength to a 10-ton capacity. The endo armor is equally remarkable. A thin woven network provides a controlled environment and electronic countermeasures. The battle helm is outfitted with an internal battle computer that coordinates the armor's most terrifying weapon, its blades. Apart from the obvious larger blades, the apparent smoother parts of the armor are actually links to micro-sized blades. Wow. The origin. Abdul stole the armor and killed its cyborg creator to become the world's most dangerous assassin. This character is basically if Wolverine and Doomsday had a baby, and that's basically what this character looks like. It seems a bit overpowered and virtually impossible to defeat, but good on you, Albert. Interesting idea. Pretty cool. The next one is The Silver Wolf by Matthew Barr of Newport News, Virginia. The secret identity is John Holiday. Current occupation, doctor slash crime fighter. Citizenship, United States. Legal status, wanted for murder. Marital status, not married. Base of operations, Los Angeles. Height, 6'3". Eye color is blue. Weight, 205. Hair, sandy blonde. Powers. Because Silverwolf is part werewolf, he has supernatural strength and enhanced senses when he changes. Because he is only part werewolf, Silverwolf only displays some characteristics of a werewolf fangs, claws, and during each full moon, slightly animalistic behavior. Origin. Silverwolf inherited his powers from his father at birth, and they did not show until his late teens. When he was unable to control his wolf side, he slew a woman out of rage and was seen running from the scene in a wolf-like form. Because of this, Silver Wolf has vowed to save lives and make up for the one he had taken. The silver parts of his suit help him control his rage. Interesting. I don't know how, but interesting. He's got pretty sharp claws. He's almost got kind of like a Hawkman-esque helmet on. And that's my kind of hero for issue 19 of Wizard. And now it's time for What the Heck? Doom 2099 appearing out of the time stream. Please, please don't kill me. I'll destroy all my Fantastic Four comics and all my action figures if you want. Please, I'll even give them the old flame on treatment. Just please, hey, wait a minute. Taking off his mask, it's not Doom, it's... it's Yes, it's me. Adam... You're back from 2099? Yes, but I am not as I once was. I am somehow now more than human. I'm... I'm just kidding. How's it going, buddy? Fine, fine. Uh, episode 19 worked out great. Uh, I went on a few tangents about New York, you know, but we kept it pretty much on track, I would say. Yeah. Uh, if by on track you mean skipped Robin's reading Rainbow entirely, then yeah. 
right on track. Hey, I think you're burying the lead here a little bit. Why are you in Doom's armor? Uh, it's a, it's a long story. Suffice to say, Doom eventually conquers the entire world in the 2099 timeline. Uh, spoilers? Yeah, well, ruling the world keeps you pretty busy, so when he was off crushing a Thorite uprising or something, I borrowed one of Doom's spare armors and ordered his temporal engineers to send me back to 2020, and here I am. Oh yeah, I, I brought you something. Oh, thanks. Uh, Batman Beyonder? The complete series of Super 12K Ultra VR implant chip? What? Yeah, by 2099, Disney owns all media, including DC Comics and the Warner Brothers Film Library, so they rebooted Batman Beyond, but teamed him with the Beyonder for Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars. It's a big hit with the kids. Uh, cool, I, I guess. Uh, anyway... Are you up to doing the old 2099 hotline this episode? I'll be honest with you, Michael. I'm a little fed up with the future right now, but there were a couple of comics featured in issue 19 that I would like to talk about. Well, then take it away. All right. Well, here we go, guys. So the first comic that only gets a brief mention in here as a number one that is coming out is Simpsons Comics and Stories. Issue number one says special collector's edition on the front. It's Bartman. The Bartman signal is next to his head above a skyline. He says, watch it, man. And it says, lo, there shall come a Bartman. Uh, This was a major comic for me back in 1993 when it came out. I was already collecting Simpsons Illustrated, which was the official Simpsons magazine, and I loved every inch of those. And so when this came out on the stands, of course I picked it up. I still have my original copy. And on the cover, it shows you that it's featuring Radioactive Man, Lisa Simpson, and Maggie Simpson. So the first one here is The Low There Shall Come a Bart Man. This is essentially the origin. For those of you who are Simpsons fanatics like me, you know Bartman first appeared in Three Men in a Comic Book, where at the beginning they go to a comic convention and you get in free if you're wearing a costume. So Bart dresses as Bartman and he's like, never heard of him, full price. So he unfortunately did not get the costume discount. But that was not the first time you put on the costume. According to this comic, uh, in a tale told by Steve Vance and Cindy Vance and also Bill Morrison is involved there too. They were kind of the main Bongo comics, what became Bongo comics. They were the main creative force behind it. I love everything they did, especially Bill Morrison. But in this story, it's very cool because Bart sees that there is a comics convention in town and this guy named Arnold Leach, who is the publisher of Radioactive Man Comics, is going to receive a good guy award. He was there actually to announce that they were going to be killing Radioactive Man, a la the death of Superman. And so that's like the big news item, and they're going to have all the variant covers and everything. They make a big joke about it. So he asks Homer to take him to there, but first, they have to go visit Grandpa at the retirement home. Of course, Bart is totally not excited about this, but when he gets there, he finds that Grandpa has a copy of Radioactive Man where he's fighting Dr. Crab, and he doesn't know why. And Grandpa reveals it was where his first first letter of complaint was ever published. And it's, it's the classic comic reader's response. 
know, where it's like, well, you said the character was from this place in this issue, and then you went on and said he's from here. What is it? You know, that kind of stuff that we read from magic words. But what's awesome is then Grandpa now has a neighbor at the old folks' home, and he is really cool. Why? Because he has a whole closet full of Radioactive Man comics, Captain Squid comics, Superior Squadron, Plasmo the Mystic, and this is like the first mention of an expanded universe for Radioactive Man, which again, starts to be shown in Radioactive Man comics that come out from Bongo Comics shortly hereafter, which is very cool. But So this guy says his name is Morton Mankiewicz, but then Bart's like, wait, you're Morty Man! You created Radioactive Man! And then he tells the sad story, which is kind of like the Jerry Siegel, Joe Schuster story, where he sold his rights for 250 bucks, and then he didn't ever see a penny from his creation, even though it was the tentpole of this publisher, right? So this, uh, this leech fella is a real jerk. Basically, Bart says, what am I going to do to get Morty Man his due? So he goes and tries to find this leech fella, but he has no luck because the door to his hotel room is locked. He was going to sneak in and intimidate him as Bartman. So he has to come up with a different option. So basically he goes backstage and brings Morty Man with him and confronts him and says, hey, what are you going to do about giving him the credit for all he did? And then Leech says, according to the contract you signed all those years ago, Bafo Comics created Radioactive Man. If you were stupid enough to sign away all your rights, that's your problem. So anyway... Bartman then reveals that he's been recording the whole conversation, all the things that Leech admitted that he actually was not the creator, but he was the one who took it, and all that happens. So then when he goes out on stage to receive his good guy award, under pressure, he says, I'm touched by this outpouring of support for our beloved Atomic Avenger, so I'm pleased to announce a special new limited series to be called The Return of Radioactive Man. It'll be written by the guy who knows him best, Radioactive Man man's creator morty man so at, everybody's happy by the end and the creator of bart's hero is now going to get his time in the spotlight and there you have it so this was interesting because later on this gets reprinted in a hero illustrated pack in Ashcan comic but they call it bartman and radioactive man now what's in the rest of this comic there is a pretty funny story called bring me the head of El Barto. The last one is a silent tale called Maggie's Excellent Adventure. I know on Disney Plus recently they did a short that was very similar to this, but this is basically Maggie going through Springfield. Of course, in here there's also an ad for Simpsons Illustrated, so you can get your subscription. There is a short comic that is not a real public service advertisement, it says, but it's Krusty the Clown presents Itchy and Scratchy's Power Tool Safety Tips. Now, what are we going to cover next? So on episode 19, you might recall that Stephen and Michael were discussing this Topps Comics Jack Kirby universe where they got the rights to use all of his unused character designs and concepts. And so they developed it into these one-off books that then all came together into one final story. It was quite interesting the concept of it all but i decided hey i'll pick up one of those and so we have bombass number one here we go so it says together again rascally roy thomas groovy gary friedrich darren dick ayers and big john severin wahoo 
So that is the creative team for this book. Did I mention that it also says guest starring Eric Larson's The Savage Dragon? Because apparently all you have to do is buy Eric Larson lunch and he will let The Savage Dragon appear in your comic book? Seriously, that green guy gets around. I cannot tell you how many comics I have from so many different creators where Savage Dragon is the guest star. It's crazy. Just so you're aware, Jack Kirby was not producing these comics. He wasn't writing, plotting, scripting, drawing. His involvement stopped when it came to the character design and probably the concept. But ultimately, what we have here is bombast. So this is a story taking place in Chicago, and suddenly there is an earthquake that splits the earth open, and this kid named Darren, who is an African-American kid with a flat top falls down into the crack and when he gets there he says definitely be some kind of cave rocks kind of glow big chunk here's loose what if i push on it yo mama I'm like what his catchphrase is yo mama i mean these are obviously middle-aged white guys who do not understand what current slang is for anybody let alone african-american youth yo mama he goes on to say who's that sure ain't no extra from a spike lee movie oh boy Anyway, so Darren finds this pod, and it has this guy in it, and he calls him a spaceman, and he says, quiet type, huh? Sometimes that's good in a white dude. And he tries to move a rock to get a better look, but it opens the pod, and this guy jumps out, but his word balloons have this weird, it's not really cuneiform, you know, it's not Egyptian, but it's strange symbols coming out. And then everything else, they say, henceforth, we'll translate for you. And he's, he's basically just saying that he doesn't quite understand what's going on. He says, you must be from the future, or perhaps now it is the present. So you get the idea that, okay, he's from a very, very long time ago, but he doesn't quite understand what's going on. And he says, my world was never... Never like this, all man-made. My home was organic, alive. This is so cold, so dead. So he decides that he'll stick around with Darren so that he can learn more about the world. And Darren kind of says the same thing where he's just like, hey, maybe I can help you. But then all of a sudden, Darren runs into this guy called the Crack Man. And he owes him some money, seemingly for crack. And Darren says, man, I'm going to pay you, but I can't if you kill me. And so Crackman's goons start beating up on Darren and Bombast just gets upset with the violence. And the thing is, he says, I was genetically engineered for battle. So let the battle begin. I have the strength, muscle control, and aiming vision to make a weapon of almost anything. So we learn also that he is very fast because he dodges bullets. So it seems that first his powers are that he can turn anything into a weapon so he can just throw things. In this case, he pulls the wood slats of a park bench and just throws them all at the goons and knocks them out. But then also eventually he's so strong, he just picks up a dude and throws him into the river. So he also says that he takes an ultra-accurate 
accurate barrage of small rocks turned by sheer power into skin-penetrating projectiles. So it's just really interesting the different ways that Bombast decides to use his powers, because later on, he almost gets hit by a car because he doesn't understand what a car is. Some kind of metal transportation unit operated by a human. And then he gets mad and throws a rock in their tailpipe and ruins the car. And so at that point, there's a big dude who hops out of the car. He wants to beat up Bombast. He knocks him out with one punch. And then all of a sudden, Savage Dragon shows up. Why? Because he's a Chicago police officer. So then Savage Dragon comes in. He's very angry. So Bombast is upset because everybody just seems angry. They want to fight. So he decides he's going to fight Savage Dragon and holds his own. You know, he gets punched. He punches back. You know, he can take it. And Dragon's kind of amazed that he could take all that. But then he starts throwing like trash cans, stop signs, parking meters, rocks, whatever. And so he says, finally, dragon says you can't beat the dragon and then bombast says it's no use my weapons bounce off him have to run or i'm finished so basically he runs away and dragon's kind of mad and ultimately bombast runs into this robot character called death flash and death flash explains that he came from the same creators as bombast but what's interesting is that they speak of the tenth men and the ninth men so the era that death flash and bombast are from were the Ninth Men. That was the name of their era, as they call it. And our modern day is called the Tenth Men. And so then Death Flash decides that he needs to kill the humans that have come to apprehend Bombast so he can protect him. But Bombast is like, ah, you're crazy. Why do you have to always go to violence? Calls him a metalloid. And so now he fights Death Flash instead because he's trying to protect the humans. And ultimately, Death Flash rides away on roller skates. But I mean, that's just such a 60s thing, right? Up, oh, roller skates pop out of your shoes, right, robot? So ultimately, Bombast runs into Darren again. He's kind of like his Rick Jones, I guess you would say. And then Darren makes a diversion by tripping a cop, so he gets in trouble. But Bombast gets away, runs back to the crack in the earth. Surprisingly, no one else is around investigating it, and he just jumps straight down into the void to find answers now that he's woken up from his pod. And he finds another, more organic-style pod, and this woman flies out who is in an all-black costume with a white mask that kind of flares out and she's got these wings that connect from her arms down to her legs and she can obviously fly. So she thinks Bombast is some type of enemy. So she starts fighting him, but they speak the same language, so they're kind of surprised about that. But ultimately, their fight is broken up by Captain Glory, who also speaks their language and looks like a terrible, terrible rejected idea for Captain America. Uh, I mean, it is garish. Yellow, red, white, blue, stripes, colors. I mean, it is really hard to look at uh, on the page by comparison to the more subdued look of Night Glider, who is this woman, and Bombast, who we've been following. So, aside from the very embarrassing dialogue that they tried to put in there, this hip language of the young people, I really, really enjoyed Bombast, the throwback aesthetic of it, but the story itself was actually really 
kind of introspective, which I know is something that Jack Kirby did a lot of in the, in the few books of his that I've read, that he would do kind of a lot of commentary on the world of today, and he would have these creatures that seem to have evolved past our humanity of this era. So, anyway, I hope you enjoyed my look at Simpsons Comics and Stories and Bombast. Ooh, but Michael, why don't you start talking about some action figures? So this month on Homemade Heroes, we've got three very interesting and unique ideas the first one is pretty amazing this is a tim drake robin and listen to this this tim drake robin was made from my amigo dick grayson robin this nice touch comes from charles p mcgall from milwaukee wisconsin and it looks very very good but it's definitely interesting that it was a dick grayson turned tim drake I'm not sure what they changed other than giving him the black boots and long pants. I guess, yeah, it's a pretty good change. And then there's the black and, and yellow cape. Very cool. The next one is a character that I don't fully know. I think it's the Vigilante. Okay. This original Vigilante is courtesy of Joe R. McComas of West Hamlin, West Virginia, made from a Secret Wars Spider-Man. It's a pretty cool character. I don't know what it is i guess it is vigilante yeah and it looks pretty cool it's got a little machine gun in his hand and white gloves and white boots it's very interesting the last one this one really is pretty wild it is a ghost rider character and it says kids don't try this at home james is a nut this is dangerous really and what i mean by that is he actually took the picture by lighting the character's head on fire to show the flames of ghost rider and it says the figure of the month goes to james mccullough from fort worth texas youch that head really is flaming this ghost rider was made from a defenders of the earth flash gordon body and bill and ted grim reaper head talk about a one-time only move pretty crazy that's awesome So our last segment is the Wizard Contest number 19. The grand prize is a copy of Bloodshot number 1, autographed by the entire creative staff. Eh, that's okay. Not the greatest, but whatever. First prize, a set of limited edition gold Santa cards from Wizard 17, McFarlane, Lee, and Liefeld. Or a limited edition Platinum Spawn Wizard card. Your choice. The second prize is a copy of Amazing Spider-Man number 300, Spidey's 25th anniversary, and a first full Venom story. Or a copy of Wolverine regular series number one. Your choice. The third prize is a copy of the limited edition Comic-Con Wizard number one or a limited edition Grey Hulk Wizard number six. Your choice. Cool. So let's dive into these questions. There are eight, and I am pretty sure I will get none of them right. We'll see. Here we go. Number one, Iron Man's all-black armor. What is it called? It is seven letters. As somebody who collects hot toys, I think I should know this because I've seen it posted before, but I don't know the answer to this. Number two, the short dude from Alpha Flight. I've never read Alpha Flight. I've seen pictures of it, but I don't know who the short dude is. Number three, Scotty's first name. I guess that's Scotty from Star Trek, but 
I wouldn't know his first name. I, I thought his first name was Scott, but I guess maybe because he's Scottish, that's why they called him Scotty. It is 10 letters. Who has a first name that is 10 letters long? Yikes. Question number four. The guy on the cover of Wizard number four. I think Batman was on cover number four. Because three was Wolverine. I'm going to go with Batman. It is six letters, so let's say Batman. Number five. Chad is a member of what outer space team? Who is Chad? C-H-O-D. I have no idea. It is 11 letters. You got me. Play ball! Number six. Rick Jones, middle initial. One letter. <laughs> who, who thinks of these questions? I have no idea. Play ball! Okay, so the next question is Ileana, who is one of the new mutants. I know who she is. I forget what her code name is, though. It's eight letters. I don't remember. Play ball! And then number eight. Oh, this is a good one. Darth Vader's real name. If you had asked me this in 93, I would not have known. But thank you to the Star Wars prequels, it is Anakin. Hey, look at that. I probably got two right. Yay, look at that. That's fantastic. And that's our mini episode, 19.5. I'd like to welcome Adam back, finally, from 2099, and he'll be joining us on our next episode for issue 20, which is super exciting. As always, I want to thank the Retro Network for hosting us on all of our podcasting platforms, and you can check us out on Instagram at wizards underscore comics, as well as wizards comics on Twitter. As always, don't forget to keep your books bagged and boarded. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.